Welcome back to Slacks. Uh, just a reminder, we are a queer podcast and we talk about any topics that you guys want to hear about and we like to talk about. Um, I'm Mallory. I'm from America. Uh, Darina's from Ireland. And Mathilde, uh, who is sadly not here with us today. We're she, missing Mathilde. She has the norovirus, but um, yes. she is Italian and Belgian. So, but she's not here today. So let's, you know, pay a little tribute to Mathilde, who is not here. Mathilde has norovirus. Um, or it could be food poisoning. We're not quite sure, but we decided collectively that she probably shouldn't be around any of us as much as we love you, Mathilde. But yeah, get well soon. Yeah, stay quarantined. Stay quarantined. But we do have a guest today. Uh, we have joining us the lovely Ali Donnelly, who is Director of Communications at Sport England, the founder of Scrum Queens, a women's rugby website. And my mate. Hi, Ali. Hello. Thanks for having me. No worries. How long have we known each other now? It must be 12 years because I'm 12 years in London now. It's easily 12 oh. years. And I love how, oh, my accent's going to get so much stronger. On the oh, my God, guys, you have to remember my ears. <laughs> you might have to, like, you know. Uh, no, it's going to be beautiful. We're going to sound amazing. I'm going to lose what? all London twang that I have about my accent, even though I don't hear a London twang. You yeah, think that you've... You, you definitely have a London twang, don't you? Hang on now. I think you I sound have, Irish. I think I sound Irish. Mm. Fuck off, Ali. Come on. You We're sound very Irish. Working in the music industry with all your cool pals. <laughs> little twang. I mean, I'm just going to move straight past that. But yeah, my accent's <laughs> probably going to get a little bit stronger. But we've known each other about 12 years now. We're both from Cork in Ireland. And oddly enough, we never hung out when we actually both lived in Cork in Ireland. Very small lesbian scene in Cork, to be fair. Teeny tiny. So we, we knew all the same people. And then we both moved separately to London had a little friend date at First Out, if people remember First Out. R.I.P. First Out, yeah. amazing. And uh, yeah, I've been really great pals ever since. I was hearing about you for ages and I had like the biggest FOMO because I was like, I was fresh off the fresh, fresh off the boat into, um, into London, didn't know a soul in the whole city. And all my mates in Cork were like, we're hanging out with Ali tonight. And they were like, oh yeah, Ali Donnelly, Ali's amazing. I'm like, who the fuck is Ali Donnelly and why is nobody missing me? So I was like massively jealous Again, of you. Again, very small lesbian <laughs> Not Not hard to be cool in Cork, Before be I even met you, I was like, who is this bitch that's like hanging out with all of my mates? And then we actually properly met, I think for the first time, at the Cork Women's oh, yeah. Fun Weekend, yeah. if anyone knows what that is. It's like our version of Dinosaur, but like that is very a, generous. A, a very small amount of people. That is that a very generous. That sounds kind of terrifying. It's How brilliant. many people come, like, would you say? A hundred. Okay. And like easily a hundred. And small there's pool. like, it's been running in Cork for like, I don't know if it still runs actually, but at the time it was running for like years and years. And it was like a grassroots, like lesbian movement in Cork started like having this event um, every year. So they had like, workshops during the day and then there was like a big like dance at night yeah. which was amazing and the workshops were pretty random but pretty cool I remember once making my own lube, um, <laughs> own lube. yeah you can make it it's what? actually it's made from like linseed okay so you yeah. boil linseeds and you make your own lube so that was that and um, I did not partake in that workshop you did you, not you partake in workshops that. did you partake in? No, I just turned up for the party you turned up for the Jaeger bombs later yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay, anyway, with, Cork, with my homemade lube. Um, <laughs> but yeah, apart from homemade lube, there is a reason why Ali is here with us today. And she is going to have a chat with us and answer some questions about same-sex adoption. Mm. 
So, you know, obviously, Francesca and I are moving into having a child soon, which we're very excited about and equally terrified. Um, our path in getting there, you know, was obviously very different to yours. And, you know, we have talked about the concept of adoption and what would that be like to adopt. We actually have a pair of friends in California, um, two guys who also went through the adoption uh, route as well. And, you know, they told us a little bit about their experience. But to be honest, I don't know much about it. I don't think you do either. I don't really either. Yeah. And so I guess from your perspective, like, why did you guys decide to adopt? And also, you know, from there, where, where did you start? Yeah, I mean, interesting about your friend in America because the process here is so different to theirs. So sure. every country you go to slightly yeah. diff does it differently. I mean, I think we we landed on adoption pretty early, actually, in our kind of conversation about how we would have a family. And mm. I think we neither of us had any sort of compulsion to physically have a child. And we knew we wanted a family, but, you know, we were open to other routes. And um, we we went to an information evening, actually. So we were sort of in the throes of looking at the different options. Mm-hmm. And it just felt really right for us. So... You know, we felt very much um, like we wanted to have a 50-50 experience, which, you know, for us, that was really important. And, you know, it's not quite like that when you're giving birth, I suppose. And so we sort of thought that that would suit us really well. But also the more we learned about adoption and how different that route was, it just felt like we could do it well. Mm. And, you know, time will tell. We have a very energetic, boisterous three-year-old who came to us at nine months and, uh, you know, we're still working it all out, as as you will find out. You're yeah. <laughs> learning on the hoof. But it just felt really right to us. And we met some really great people on the initial evening. And uh, yeah, so so we from there, so you, the process in England is you essentially choose two routes. So you, you, you go to a local authority, so your council, okay. which is what we did. Or you can go to one of the many voluntary sort of independent agencies. So those are, you know, there are about 50 of those, I think, Bernardo's you'd have heard of, there are others like Core Impact and then smaller individual ones. So we went with the local authority. The process is essentially the same, but the matching is slightly different. And, um, you know, we launched into a four-day course, which was really difficult, actually, really mm. emotionally draining. And essentially, they're trying to kind of beat out the people who aren't quite resilient enough for it. And they yeah. terrify you, frankly, with, you know, some difficult stories and uh, all the rest of it. And then you carry on if you survive yeah. <laughs> um, that process. Who so, makes you, sorry, really quick, who makes you go on that course? So if you want to jump on what's called stage one of adoptions, two stages to adoption, stage one is being approved. Yeah. The first, very first part of that is this course. Okay. And ours was four days. And it's it's essentially sort of a crash course in adoption. So mm. it's very intense. It's like nine to five with a bunch of other couples. You had to talk about, you know, your motivation to adopt and for the majority of the straight couples there, of course, adoption wasn't their first choice. It sure. was, uh, right. you know, a process they had come to by virtue of the fact they weren't able to have children. So there was a lot of loss and trauma mm. being discussed. We mm. met adoptees, so older adoptees who'd, you know, very difficult stories. They'd never, they didn't know they were adopted until they were like adults, for example. Wow. So we talked a lot about identity because that process is very different now. We met a birth mother whose children had been taken away. We met... Um, a doctor who dealt with things like fetal alcohol syndrome, which is very common in adoption. So so they really sort of went to town on the very hard bits of adoption. And you kind of were kind of spat out the end of the week <laughs> on no, under yeah. no illusions about how challenging this might be. Um, and w- once you've done that, then you're matched with a social worker and you spend six months intensely together wow. getting you ready for what's called a panel, which is where you literally sit in front of a panel of people and they approve you. And that's the kind of 
the start and end of the first bit of the process. That's wild. That's it's intense. I mean, it's already like I'm like tired listening to that already. Intense. Wow. It's already sounding pretty intense. And how long had you been with your wife Sarah by the time that you guys started this process? Uh we had been together maybe seven or eight years and married two. Okay. Right. Um, so we're a pretty long term yeah. um, relationship. Actually, the the approval that six month window was like the most intense couples counselling you'll ever have I was because ask, yeah. it's yeah. quite therapeutic. We loved our social worker, which is not always the case, actually, because, you know, we're human beings and you don't always get on with people. Right. But we really mm-hmm. got on with her. And so there was a lot of sort of, um, you know, intense sessions together where we had to talk yeah. about how were you raised and how would you like mm-hmm. to parent? And you realise, actually we had very different upbringings and we had to kind of work through, I mean, actually every parent should probably go through a similar yeah. process, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so it, it was quite, I quite enjoyed it. I'm quite, I mean, I don't know about you guys, I quite like talking about myself. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, we do a yeah. whole podcast. So I think we're yeah. pretty happy about yeah, doing exactly. it. We did a whole session on therapy last week. So yeah, that's you know, true. It's a bit like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that, so it is hard, but it, yeah, if, you, if you're into that kind of thing and you, you understand the need to be properly prepared yeah. uh, for a different kind of, experience um then it's really valuable so did they make you go so that social worker that you had for six months was she basically just assessing you for like different kind of points in the process to be like okay these women are definitely like on board they can do this yeah and they basically at the end approve you for a certain you know type of child so for us it was a zero to five year old um, child no siblings because we both wanted to go back to work so they're assessing you for all sorts of things. You know, there there will be couples who are much better suited to adopting older siblings, for example, where, you know, one of the parents might not work and therefore is there to be a kind of more of a support network where we both wanted to go back to work. What so, do you mean by you know, older sibling? So in in the world of social work and social care for children, there is a phrase, which is not my choice, but called hard to place children. Okay. So hard to place children will tend to be older children because mm. adopters often are very keen to adopt very young children. Um, they might be children with special educational needs. They mm. might be large sibling groups, which of course is just hard. Um, and so they will be assessing you throughout the process. I mean, we were keen to adopt siblings actually. And they said, no, you're not ready for that. Two, so two yeah. at the same time. Or more, but they were just like, wow. you're not ready for that. And actually siblings, what we have learned about adoption is, of course, children have been through a very traumatic experience prior to being taken into care, even if the experience is just being taken into care right. um, at birth because that's traumatic. And so they were dead right. We weren't ready to do that. Um, so we weren't approved for that, which okay. was fine. Um, yeah. So they're kind of assessing you all the way through and you're not really quite sure yeah. what they think. So it's a little unnerving because you're yeah. like desperate to say, do you think I'm a good person? Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, think she, I do think she did think we were and we've stayed yeah. in touch. So yeah. Um, yeah. So what is, when, when children get taken into care, um, from, from birth, and you said that that could be quite traumatic. I mean, obviously at any point, if a child goes into care, I mean, this can be from birth up through the age of before 18, yeah. right? So I guess what kind of constitutes that and and what does care even look like for a newborn? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's rare enough that a child would be taken into care at birth because, okay. of course, the ultimate aim for, you know, children is to keep them with their birth families and that, right. that's mm. dead right. Adoption should always be, frankly, the last resort and... You don't hear many adopters saying that, but I like really yeah. believe that because, you know, you're you're severing a, you know, primary care bond that's, sure. that can be very traumatic for ch- the development of children's brains at that age. 
Um, but usually the social workers will have been involved in the family life for some time for that to happen. And ultimately, it depends on the situation, but mostly children are going to foster care first. Mm. Um, there will have been a process whereby they'll have tried to help the birth family stay together. Uh, in our case, um, our daughter originally uh, went into a sort of residential unit with birth mum and that didn't really work out. And then she was put into foster care. And so that, that you know, that's quite common, I think. Okay. You know, they, they do everything they can to help the families. But um, she had older siblings as well who were also in foster care. So they were in foster care together then until she was nine months old and they were both adopted by another family. Uh, and we may probably come on to contact in a minute because they see each other. But the roots normally help the family mm. if that's not working, foster care. Mm. And in that process, if that still isn't working um, with the birth family, then it's an adoption. But adoption is very much nothing else is right for this child and the child should come first and this child needs security. So I know like a few, have you ever met anybody who's been a foster parent before? I haven't actually, no. I've never met anyone who's been a foster parent or actually an adoptive parent. Yeah, I, I have a quite a close <laughs> friend. You. So his um, his family used to be in, used to basically take on foster children for like the entirety of his growing up. So he always had foster brothers and sisters. Yeah. Um, and I just used to find that really fascinating. And his parents genuinely loved like these children and at some points would want to adopt, you know, a couple of them along the way. And so I guess for me, like what if a, a family like a foster parent, especially when a child is so young, like, you know, people form attachments to these children. Yeah. How is there a possibility that that foster parent, because obviously they they've probably have gone through some sort of rigorous you know, um, inspection of their home, who they are, are they mentally fit, all of these things. Um, so is there no way for some of these foster parents to keep these children or? Yeah, that's actually very common. Uh, foster parents come forward to adopt the children in their care. I mean, I suppose the challenge there is there many of them are full-time foster carers. So that's, that is their job. Yeah. And of course, it's like a very special job and they're mm. doing it for other reasons too, altruistic or love or, it's, you know, They've been through an experience that they want to do that, but ultimately it's the job. So they are weighing up a bunch of things, I suppose, because when you become an adopter, it might make it slightly more difficult to foster in the future. Mm. Um, but it, that actually happened to us. I was talking to Dorina beforehand and saying the hardest bit of adoption for us before becoming actual parents, which is really hard, yeah. uh, was after we were approved, you essentially sort of get launched onto, and this is really crude, but launched onto the market so you've got a profile right. and there's a website called Linkmaker where your profile gets uploaded to and your social worker is essentially looking for children for you. And, wow. you know, it's not very nice to speak about in those terms, but that is what's happening. Yeah. And you're being kind of assessed against um, criteria and so on. And we were almost matched with a child very early on and foster care actually, at the, it, it, like towards the end of the process, actually came forward and wanted to adopt the child. And of course, that was the right option for that child because she already had a primary attachment to yeah. that carer. And of course, that for us felt like quite difficult. Yeah. But ultimately, that was the right thing. And I think in the end, you know, you just trust social workers that they are matching the right children to the right families. Was the child quite young, or? Yeah, I think I can't, I can't remember. It was a few years ago. She was maybe six, seven months. Oh wow, that yeah. is young. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. I mean, we we adopted a pretty young child by, you know, comparison to to many people. Our daughter was nine months when when we adopted her. So that that's pretty young. That's actually. quite young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, that happens often. Yeah. And you mentioned the matching process. So you guys are in this situation where you're are you essentially waiting for the phone to kind of ring. Yeah. You can also be proactive. So uh, it's it's complicated. But your local authority are looking for children in their own care uh, within yeah. their boroughs for mm. you because obviously they want to match 
their parents with their children. Sure. And if the, that didn't actually happen to us, um, we then proactively went on that website I mentioned okay. and we looked, you know, at profiles of children. Yeah. We also went to, um, which I found really horrible actually, essentially like an exhibition where local okay. authorities are there with profiles of children at tables and you go and wow. read them. And I, I did not enjoy that. Wow. I found that okay. very... Um, Oh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is quite not it's not ex exploitative at all because of course they're just looking for the right parents yeah. for very vulnerable children but I didn't enjoy it and that, that didn't work for yeah. us yeah. and ultimately we were mapped through that website so um, okay. a social worker in another part of the UK uh, read our profile and was very keen on us because we were very pro-birth family contact so okay. I think it's really important and that's what they were looking for for mm. this particular child okay. and yeah and we went from there. Do you? The, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. I was just going to say, do you get any sort of say in the children? So, like, they obviously are vetting you guys heavily, and they're trying to match you. But yeah. from a perspective of your preference and your, you know, this might sound like a silly question. I don't know. But, no, it's not. but does it? But did you guys have any sort of? Yes. I mean, you. You. I mean, we didn't because we were really blessed to have a great experience with our matching. But yes, if a child, if you don't feel like you are the right people to parent that child, then you would, it would be wrong of you to proceed. So, for example, if it came clear that there was a se severe issue that would require you to not work, for yeah. example, yeah. and you felt actually you live in London and I can't afford not to work, I wouldn't be able to parent, then it wouldn't be right for you. Right. Or, you know, I've read stories, I don't know anyone that this has happened to personally, where, uh, you know, introductions had started. Introductions are where you, you meet the child initially so there's a transitional period where you're mm. starting to meet them and it didn't feel right and the match matches don't happen and that might sound really brutal but social workers need to take the kind of yeah. right decisions for the child but um yeah so you do you do and some people are very specific uh we weren't really yeah. we were fairly open to um a whole range of things but it just so happened that um you know we were just very lucky with the health and kind of backstory in terms of trauma and so on she hadn't been moved very much which is very common in young children um which can be a worry because you're sort of like not really knowing the impact of that in her little brain yeah yeah of course um, and we absolutely loved our foster family and we're still in great contact with them. the family who had her before you guys yeah, adopted they, her. they had her for most of her time yeah um yeah so on that note again this might be a silly question but i'm i'm very interested because when francesca and i were going through the process of finding a sperm donor I mean, I was really blown away by all of the options that you get. So we were choosing a guy based on height, which was very important to us because I come from an incredibly short family. <laughs> and so Francesca definitely said no one under the height of 6'1", six, six um, effectively. And, you know, you choose things like ethnicity, hair color, eye color, and then they give you a whole spectrum of, like, genetic information about the donor. And obviously this isn't a donor, this is adoption, so it's very different, but... What like did you guys get any options in that respect? Did you did you actually go to them in the beginning and say, okay, you're vetting us, but also we have our own kind of ideas of what it is that we want? Is that a thing? Um, I think you've neatly highlighted probably one of the big differences between adoption and and birth parenting. So adoption is about you going into it with a mindset that actually your 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 a really good way of explaining it is. When you adopt, when you have a birth child, you build your family out in front of you. And the hand gesture I'm doing now is like a pregnant person building their family out. <laughs> nice. When you adopt, you build your family to the either side of you. So right. you're dragging in with you 
foster families, adopt other adopters, birth siblings, all sorts of things. So the kind of choices you're referencing are just not really a thing. Okay. But 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 in a really stark contrast of what you've just said about the height and all that sort of stuff, we did get a list which we had to tick off, but it was not what you were describing. What it is was it? Alcoholism, uh, birth mother taking drugs, uh, potential of having fetal alcohol syndrome, uh, you know, disabilities, all that sort of thing, which is really about what can you care for and what are you able to do? Mm-hmm. So it is a very different mindset yeah. um, and it's not really about that. But what we did, what we do have, which is very different to adoption of a kind of, you know, another generation is an enormous amount of information about her birth family. Okay. So you can request as much of that as they have. Yeah. And we did. And actually we met birth mom and birth granddad and we write to them. So, you know, we know a lot about the birth family. Yeah. You know, we know what they look like. We've got loads of pictures of them. Yeah. We know where they went to school. We know how they did at school. We know what's happened in their lives. We know exactly why the children were taken away. So it's a it's a very different uh, prospect, but it's the same yeah. sort of concept in a, in a different way. I mean, I guess like... You know, the the characteristics that I was talking about, I feel like are very on the surface. And when we were going through the process, it, it bothered me a little bit because, you know, when you um, I think when traditionally people, especially in heterosexual couples, have children like you just you, you just go with who you're with. Right. And um, but I guess in, in this instance, you, you just I'm, and all of the characteristics and all the things that you were saying, I understand. But like ethnicity is that not something that plays in because i so feel like it's the ethnicity so matching children with um the same ethnicity as themselves is really important yeah. uh, for social workers so yeah. we would never be placed with an afro caribbean child right because we would never be able to like you know we talked about identity earlier exactly. we, we would never be able to identify in, in the way that child would need yeah. so there's actually a huge shortage in the uk if anyone is listening and is interested in adoption of of bame adopters and yeah. there's a huge recruitment campaign going on because there are lots of BAME children who are in care for far longer than they should be because there aren't enough, um, you know, BAME adopters and they right. and they don't really want to match, you know, the, the wrong ethnicity scale. It's not really fair on the child. So so we would never have been, that was never an option for us. But what if what if you were open to adopting, let's say, like either a Middle Eastern child they, or They probably African, wouldn't place They wouldn't let us. you. I mean, they might in the right circumstances and that has happened. But it is pretty rare. Okay. They would rather go and actively pr- recruit uh, an adopter from that ethnicity, even if it was only one of the two parents. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Than place with. I mean, we were approved, for example, for also, um, you know, children of Eastern European heritage, of which there are quite right. a few in the care system here, because they are white, and many are from Catholic backgrounds, which which I am, although mm-hmm. not practicing, but Same. certainly grew up in that environment, right. so I understood it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, so, the, so that that does play into it, but that's not your choice, ultimately. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And BAME is black and minority ethnic. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask if that was too. I'm like, yeah, sorry, I, I've been working I know for, this for, is. for too long. Yeah. So just back to the matching process. Yeah. And is it a case that you can get so far down the line in the matching process and it doesn't work out? Yes. And that did happen to us sort of. Um, So you do one panel to be approved called an approval panel Mm -hmm. and then you're building towards a matching panel when there's a match with a child and that's that's the kind of moment where you're officially matched. So we only went to one matching panel and that was for our daughter but days after we were approved at approval panel we got called to say we've got this child in our our local authority we think you'd be a good match the child was 18 months old 
we had a visit from the social worker. It's called a home visit where they the child social worker who doesn't know you obviously mm. is coming. Um, an independent social worker comes. It was quite a big interview day right. in your mm. house. Mm. And it was really nerve wracking. And we saw videos of the child and we were kind of down this path. And of course, you, it was the first experience we had. We imagined the child living with us. We were like, wow, yeah. this is happening so fast. And then we heard nothing, which was very unusual. And what we didn't know was that they were meeting other couples. We had thought it was just us. Yeah. Right. And our social worker was really annoyed about this. And ultimately, they chose another couple. And we found this out a few days before Christmas. And we were gutted because we were like, firstly, sad. But yeah. we accepted immediately, we're both very pragmatic people, that they obviously had chosen the right parents because they're, they know that child so yeah. well and, and that wasn't us. But also playing in the back of your mind is, is it because we're two women? I was right. just going to ask Absolutely. you Absolutely, is it because yeah. we're two women? And yeah. actually, I, they probably won't listen to this podcast so I can say it, but the couple that they placed that child with, we ended up knowing. And they, really? they didn't know that it was us yeah. uh, in the final kind of rundown with them. And they were a straight couple. And they're fantastic parents, uh, definitely the right uh, parents but for that particular child but we you know at that time we were because the reason they said something like oh you haven't got much child, enough childcare experience and I was like are you joking me I've got like a million nieces and nephews because I'm Irish <laughs> yeah. have, you know like, yeah. I have like 15 yeah. we that's have, so many you know, and some of them at yeah. that time were living near us in Richmond yeah. um, and we you know we, we, I was just a bit like that's just a nonsense reason so that's obviously because we're gay Yeah. Um, but you know pfft, yeah. You can't control that, right? But like yeah. so when okay, so this this is what I wanted to ask you. The gay the gay thing. Yeah. Do social workers tell you like upfront, I just want you to know that there may be some children that may not be an option for you? Because and do do the birth parents have an option as well? Like do they say I want this to go to uh, my child to go to a heterosexual couple? Great question. Yes, the birth parents have a say, but it's ultimately up to the social workers. So um there are some uh, birth parents who are deeply religious who mm. would not want their child to be placed as a gay couple, but they, they do not have a decision-making role, um, but they are very much listened to, of course. Um, in our case, um, birth mum was very pro uh, to women mm. raising her daughter, so that was great. Um, and she was very, when we met her, was very positive about that, actually, and thought yeah. it was a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that that is a bit of a factor. I mean, I think people often ask me about, you know, are you discriminated against in the process? Because, you know, only yeah. one in eight adoptions in the UK are, are by LGBT people. And my answer is kind of twofold. One, who knows? Because like yeah. that's a subjective thing. Sure. Right? You're, no one's ever going to yeah. tell you that. They're never going to say, yeah. we haven't matched you because you're gay. We picked this other couple. They give you another reason. You haven't got enough childcare experience, etc. Right. right. Um, but the other thing is, I think that actually there is an awakening in the adoption world that LGBT people make fantastic adopters and partly and this is no in any way disrespect to people who come to it through other routes but it's partly because in most LGBT cases it's your first choice so you have right. no kind of hang-ups or losses or trauma on on, on, mm. the, on the way to it you're just all in to adopt and you embrace it and you get it and you're in it for that re- you know you're, you're in it because you want you chose to do it first right. off now, that is not a negative. There are amazing adopters who have had really difficult experiences in trying to conceive themselves. But I think so. a lot of social workers we've met say, actually, we really love working with you because we know we can just launch into the process with you immediately and not have to actually tease out, are you looking for a replacement child for the right. child that you weren't able to have? Right. Because actually you need to deal with that. And there is an actual way. So I think if you have been through IVF um, and it's failed, 
or you've tried to conceive and it's failed, I think you have to wait a minimum of six months before you can even apply to adopt because they want you to deal with that trauma. Of course. Whereas with right. us, they're just like, off you go to that course. Yeah. Okay. Right. Let them go. scare the shit out of you. Basically. <laughs> so just out of like interest, how many children are there that need to, like to be adopted? She has this face of like, I don't know. I don't fucking know. Okay, I don't but, know. It's all available on the Department for Education okay. website. Man. I don't know. Yeah. But I guess like, you know, the amount of couples, I mean, is this something that you might know? Like, are like there must be just like, like thousands or hundreds of thousands of couples. So there's been, there's been a drop. I mean, it's a really interesting world when you get into it. So every time there's a high profile court case involving a child or, or something terrible has happened to a child who should have been in care, uh, there's a spike in the number of children who are taken into care and then adopted. Mm. And every time there is a, you know, a judgment at family courts that really dictate, you know, a judge will say, absolutely, social workers must be spending time working with birth families. There is a drop. So you are so around baby P, which which you yes. will definitely remember doing that. Yes, yeah. maybe you might have been living here. A very serious case that happened in Haringey where a child was killed. There was a huge spike in adoption because social workers were worried and they were like, yeah. we need to get these children out. Yeah. Whereas now there's a bit more of a focus on keeping birth families together because of a judgment a couple of years ago. So it's very up and down yeah. how many children are waiting. Um, and of course, the older a child is the more likely it is that they end up in long-term foster care yeah. and they're never adopted because um, not many adopters want to adopt seven or eight-year-olds, sadly, yeah. Um, yeah. because they're concerned about, you know, being able to parent them properly because of, of what they have been through. And, um, and that's really sad, I think. So in America, I know that um, with adoption, there's a lot of cases that I've heard, like I know a close family friend, um, she adopted her daughter from uh, Russia. Um, and then, you know, and, and that's not the first time I've heard of this. So we've, I've known people who've adopted from China, from Russia, yeah. um, and from other various countries, but it sounds like from what you said earlier, that it's very council specific yeah. or does the UK have that option as well to adopt outside of the UK? Yeah, you can. It's extremely difficult yeah. and it's becoming harder and harder for the reasons I mentioned earlier around identity and ethnicity. Yeah. It, a lot of evidence suggests that children who are taken from, you know, an environment that is then alien completely to them because they're brought up in another country, um, it can be very challenging in the long term for them to yep. deal with issues around identity. So it's actually very difficult to do it from here. It costs a lot of money. You yep. have to go and live in the country. It, we never considered it for a second because we felt, firstly, we didn't, you know, we had no desire to do that. And secondly, the more we learned about early years experiences on identity, yeah. the more we felt actually a situation where we know everything about birth family and we can meet them is surely better for our daughter growing up. I mean, of she's course. already, she's three. She already says things like, I grew in another mummy's tummy, another birth mummy's tummy. You know, um, she says her name. She knows her birth mother's name. She talks about her brother and sister all the time. So that to me feels like such a better, yeah. uh, I'm not like discounting people who do yeah. it. Of course, it's yeah. like they, they, they will have researched it's the right thing for them. But for us, that just felt so important that this is not... A, she will never remember me telling her that she was adopted because it's yeah. just been a thing. Yeah. And she knows where she comes from. Yeah, That's like, you know, I think in... I guess in America, because I've not... Obviously, I've never been through the process here or there. And I know that my... This close family friend of mine, like, she was desperate. They were so desperate to have a child. She tried IVF, like, yep. 12 times. It never worked for her. And then she adopted and again it was impossible for her to get placement with a child yeah um yeah and so I, I didn't know because I, you know the restrictions in america are very different it's a, it's it's very similar to when you're buying sperm i kind of feel like it's a little bit like the wild wild west like the the in terms of you know like to you be a uk compliant sperm donor you have to be 
not anonymous, which means that the child needs to be able to contact that donor at the yep. age of 18 years old. You have to have that as an option, which I fully agree with. In America, you don't have to do that. You can be anonymous. You can be non-anonymous. And also, they're not very strict with how mm -hmm. many people can take that sperm. I see. Which yeah. is, <laughs> that's a huge problem. Scary. So, like, a child could have, like, hundreds of brothers and sisters. Um, you know, so, and I guess in terms of adoption, it, it feels very different to me. Because from what I've heard of other experiences in, in the States, at least, it doesn't feel as you know, um, structured yeah. is what the process that you guys went through. Yeah, and adoption is actually very controversial. I mean, there are very strong voices in the sector, so particularly older adoptees yeah. who, you know, have struggled to find their birth families, didn't know, have no records. Um, in Ireland, where we're from, adoption is actually not that common. And yeah, a lot much, of adoption yeah. is is the kind of old school relinquished baby adoption, which is very rare here, most mm. nearly every child in the care system has been taken into care. Um, so I was texting or DMing on Twitter, actually, nice. uh, a, an Irish presenter called Evan Nicoolan, who is a TG Cahar, it's an Irish station. Mm, she just did a programme about um, adoption. She was adopted and we were messaging and I said, oh, you know, I can't wait to watch it. And, you know, she was really amazed that in the UK we have, you know, a system whereby everybody knows everything. And she said, I love that your child knows she's adopted and, you know, embrace your truth. And that's, yeah. I guess, what we're doing. I don't know what other countries do, but it isn't the same as here. Mm. And at some point, obviously, you guys got, I mean, was it a phone call? What was it? How did you get the news we, that you We got like a matched? ping on an email, which was um, which was a match, basically. So, so a social worker saw our profile on Linkmaker, yeah. connected with us. And we were actually on holidays in Greece and we were taking a bit of a break because we'd had a rough six months after approval where I've shared some of the experiences we had with you, you know, going to that exhibition, yeah. being knocked back at the end, you know, another child where the foster family came from. We were a bit like, you know, fuck this. I need a break. I'm really I was working in a really intense job at the time and we went mm -hmm. on holidays. Anyway, so we got this ping and I was like, because she's just adorable. Oh, she's beautiful, yeah. But that shouldn't matter. But, you know, I just saw it and I was like, wow, she's so young. Like, what, you know, that's that's really unusual. Blah, blah, blah. Messaged our social worker. She said, enjoy the rest of your holiday. I'll sort <laughs> this out. Yeah. So we came back and we had a meeting pretty much straight away with um, our little girl social worker. It just worked really well. It was perfect. And probably it took from there like a month to like moving in. Can you imagine, by the way, right? Yeah. So so basically, I had to go to work and be like, I'm about to take loads of time off, sorry. Um, and secondly, we had on, so if you have a child, so you're having a baby, yeah. you've probably done some research on buggies. Oh my God. All just, that shit. I'm just going to ask you that. We yeah. had done fuck all oh. because we were, in our brains, we assumed we would be placed with a two-year-old boy. All our experience with children were boys. Or yeah. We had loads of nephews. And that was just what we had in our mind. The nine-month-old girl, we were like, shit, I don't know anything about this. And I'm, as Doreen will tell you, I like to prepare for stuff. She does. So I was like, I need to read all the books. I haven't got any time. Anyway, so we turn up at mother care and uh, <laughs> we said, we'd done nothing. And we were like, this was happening in a week. We were like, hi, um, we need, and we were like, a car, a car seat, a buggy, loads of clothes. This guy was like, ching, ching. Yeah. And we bought like, and as it turns out, like not great things. Um, we've really? changed which like our car seems like dreadful um, so you know because we've done you know no, nothing so right. that was quite amusing we just didn't have a clue and it's um, so expensive by the way oh my god there like is so much shit you have to buy yeah. it's out of control so yeah so that happened um, and then we went off down to meet foster family and then you have like we had 10 days of introductions where we built up our time with her every day so mm. started with an hour then it was two hours then it was like feeding her taking her for a walk and then 
she came to our house with her siblings because they had to say goodbye. That was also very difficult. Um, they were about to be adopted by another family together. And then foster mum stayed with us for a day. And then suddenly, right, so this day comes, nothing ready to do for this. <laughs> and there's, they go, by like really emotional, really like everyone's crying, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then the door closes and you're just standing there with this nine month old going, fuck, what are we going to oh do now? God, <laughs> like yes. everything is now like real. There's a child yeah, here. Yeah, there's a child and she's like, you know, like wanting attention. And nine months old, by the way, it's like, they're busy. Yeah. Right? Like they're yeah. like crawling around, right. like eating, you know, <laughs> crying and like pooing themselves. And stuff. But they're not like <laughs> tiny babies who sleep half a day. Right. Yeah. Enjoyed that bit, by the way. We never got that. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And you mentioned um, a couple of times about contact and about contact with siblings and yeah. contact with the even the foster family, the birth family, etc. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So I think this is probably the biggest kind of misconception or generational change in adoption. So I mentioned that most children are taken into care as opposed to relinquished now. So they're slightly different. So, so when you go to court, so after you are the child moved in with you, there's another like four or five months before there's a court date. Um, mm -hmm. And you feel like you're like on probation, but like, you know, the intention is always to have the court hearing. So the court will tell you their advice on contact with birth family. And so our advice was um, to meet birth family where we could and to see birth siblings um, six times a year. Um, so we were all very pro that. Some, some people are not pro that. And actually the course that we did it became really clear there was a couple there who were not pro-contact and they oh, actually wow. didn't get through the process. So we mm. were very pro-contact, I think, as for all the reasons I've said, I think it's brilliant for her. Like, it's not it's not for us to dictate whether she sees her brother and sister yeah. or her brother and sister, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so contact is an incredibly positive thing for us. It's harder for her siblings. They're older. They were in the family home for a lot longer. Um, you know, they, they have issues to deal with because of that and birth, so you mean the birth family yeah home. so okay. and i and i think in some ways it might it does trigger um some trauma for them yeah. Yeah. seeing her um but it's a very positive thing on the whole and it's improved greatly over the last few years uh, in fact we're seeing them on sunday so um yeah so i i really enjoy it foster family are amazing i love i mean they fostered loads of kids since who we've mm. all met and they're just really supportive you know they're a part of our child's life you know yeah. her blankie which you know you know, people talk about like things they wouldn't like to lose. If we, lo I'd rather our house burned down than lose this blankie, honestly. Um, but the blankie came with her from foster mom, and you know they're like really. We talk about them all the time. You know, you live yeah. with them for you know nine months of your life. You know, who gave you that? And she says their names, and we talk about them. So, contact is is high for us. Actually, that's that's a yeah. high amount of contact. Um, um, it doesn't always work for people. Sometimes there are safety concerns. You might not be ever able to meet birth parents, but I'm really glad that we did that. So yeah. do you, you guys have a like a would you say like a pretty good relationship with the birth parents? No, we don't. So we so we met we met them once. OK. And then uh, we write them letters is what we is, is what we do. But okay. um, it's an ongoing contact, but it's not direct because uh, that was not what was recommended to us. I would be happy to do that. And actually, one of the things I've been appalled about in this process is the lack of support for birth mothers in particular. So. Yeah you know, they get their children taken away and then because of cuts to local authority budgets or resource and time, you know, they are kind of back out there on their own and they're incredibly vulnerable women. Yeah. You know, you don't have your children taken of off course. you without having suffered some severe traumas of your own. And I have found that to be, you know, really hard to swallow. So, sorry if I'm rambling on, but like I had a dream one night, I hate people say I have a dream, I had a dream, but I had a dream one night that our birth mother 
had died. Mm. And I woke up and I was like, oh, God. So I sent an email to the local authority and said, could, could you call her? No reply. Days. Emailed again. Nothing. Then eventually, so I, I used to work at number 10. So I used my number 10 email address, which is quite serious. <laughs> um, got a reply like within an hour. And they basically were like, we don't do that. And I was like, can you just call her? And so they did. And they said, uh, left a message. And anyway, I set up a fake Facebook page and found her on Facebook and saw that she was posting. So it was fine. But like to not even, like they have no contact with Wait, her. So Three you... of her children have been taken off her into care in their borough. She's very likely to have further children, possibly, which yeah. is going to cost, you know, crudely, that's going to cost them right. money, right? Right. Because yeah. they're going to have to like take the child into care if that what is what happens. And they just disappear from her life, which there's I no find ongoing care. shocking, yeah. actually. Yeah, really is. shocking. And there's nothing I can do about that because it's not my place to, you know, fix everything. Right. Um, but I have been volunteering and talking to a great charity called Pause, who are a charity who work with women who've had repeat children taken off them and put them on a two-year programme where they have to take contraception, so it's a bit controversial, but they kind of are helping them to either keep their future children or or not have children again. So I've kind of been trying to cleanse my soul by doing that, but um, yeah. it's just shocking, isn't it? So they gave you her actual full name, so you knew oh, yeah, how to like find everything. her. Oh, yeah, like everything. I mean, you get... You apart get, from her phone number, address. Well, like... accidentally, they'd left her phone number and address on there, which is really poor. Oh. I know, really bad. I mean, social workers are overworked and mistakes like that happen but um did you not try to call her no god no <laughs> uh, i don't think that'd be the would that wouldn't be right for her would it no. so yeah i mean you find out everything and we yeah. met we met their gp so we knew wow. of every health issue so we knew that she was allergic to something which subsequently is something our daughter's allergic to which is yeah. great because we know that's a genetic sure thing you know yeah. um yeah we we know loads yeah. and we've met her so i've asked her like 50 questions yeah. why did you choose that name you know, what did you like doing at school? What's your favourite food? Like really yeah. important stuff. That yeah. You, yeah. You, your mum, like why are you called Darina? You probably know the story there. I do actually. And it's a really interesting story, but it's one for another but, time. But you know, you know the answer <laughs> to that. Whereas, yeah. you know, my daughter might not have known that or few adopt adoptees who are 50 who only found out they were adopted five years ago. Yeah. They probably don't know why their name is Clarence or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, like that's important, isn't it? So, so important. When you met her, were you like you had the baby with no, you? No, we didn't bring her. Um the recommendation is to, to come. It's too it's too hard for her. Yeah. She'd already said yeah. goodbye um to her a few months before. It was her social worker, ours, and uh she came with her father actually. Mm. I found it really emotional and I'm not a massively emotional person. And my wife actually found it completely matter of fact and fine whereas I struggled to uh, download it for days I think mainly because she was a very intelligent woman and I felt just so angry that life had like dealt her this awful hand where yeah. there's no way she could have kept her children if you knew her story I was like well she had no experience of being parented so right. how how could we expect her to and I just felt like society had failed her and like there are yeah. probably thousands of women like that and yeah. that could be us right yeah. Yeah. you grew up in, the, in a tough environment Without the right nurture and support as a child, your brain doesn't develop in the right way. It's very difficult. And we have had a couple of really interesting conversations about attachment and attachment yeah. theory. And we had a quick conversation where we came in here where you said that, and I'll probably get this wrong, but if you have a certain degree of upheaval, if you're under the age of two, that you may have difficulty. So what we were talking about was kind of early years development, which is mm. a kind of growing area of public knowledge, right? There are obviously experts in this who've been talking about it for years, but it's the concept that from zero to three or zero to five, that's the most formative time for your little brain, right? Mm. And so if there is multiple trauma happening in your life at that time, 
which might be things, really serious things like abuse or neglect, or it might be things like just not being stimulated enough through play. It might be, um, and the example I gave to you was, you know, if you are two and you have had four different sets of parents, mm. then your brain is, is I mean, depending on your individual brain, but it is likely that in the future, you will find it very difficult to form secure attachments to people because all you know are, are adults coming and going out of your life, people loving you and then disappearing. And if that's the time of your life when your brain is developing the most, then actually that that is very scary for adopters because they're, you know, yeah. our child had quite a few moves actually in the first few weeks of her life. And we worry about that. You know, we, we're very, we parent our child in a slightly different way to the way our friends parent uh, or their children. We um, we talk about feelings a lot more. We, uh, we use something called pace. It's a type of parenting. And it's sort of high nurture, high routine. Yeah. And some people think we're just like very soft, but it's just a different way of doing it totally. because we have learned about, you know, the trauma of kind of, you know, changes in primary care early on. And um, one of the things adopters hate, so if you meet an adopter, is when uh, people say, all children do that. And I just feel like punching them, saying like, all children don't have like four sets of parents by the time yeah. they're two. So yeah. like, piss right. off and stop telling me right. how to raise my child. Totally. They, they don't really say that to me very much. I think they know what would come back at them. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. And just on that note, um, there must be, and I mean, I know there are huge amounts of misconceptions about adoption. Is there anything, I mean, you must have a lot, right? Yeah, I mean, the main one I've mentioned, which is the idea that sort of you cut off all ties with birth family and off you go into later life and no one ever talks about it again. Yeah, That's just not a thing at all. And what social workers are great at is drilling that into you from the get-go. Like, you know, you will talk, we have a life story book, it's called. It explains in an age, we, Sarah and I talk about uh, truth-telling in a 100% truth-telling in an age-appropriate way. Which is which is kind of our way of parenting. Mm -hmm. So, which leads to pretty hilarious. How do we like dumb this down and not that, like you know, <laughs> um, you know? So so we have a little book that we you know read to her and it tells her her life story in irrelevant. There's lots of pictures of Peppa Pig in there, sure. for example. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so so I think that's probably the biggest one. Or it's it's more like it's less misconceptions and more like the way people talk to you about it. So like you know, people who get pregnant will probably say this too, but people feel this like, you know, like they can intrude, people feel they can intrude, don't they? So they meet a gay couple and they say, we've got a child and you hear them go, which one have you had them? Like, fuck yeah. off and mind your own business. Yeah. <laughs> so in adoption, or they touch your response. belly, right? That, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like, yeah. what? That's a real uh, thing, by the way. Yeah, it's awful. So yeah. or my really good friend Martha, who I'm going to make listen to this for the, for the shout out. Hi Martha. Uh, she hey, Martha. said someone touched her belly. I was like, what? Yeah. Without permission. Yeah. Pregnant, pregnant yeah, randomly. Yeah. yeah, and so in adoption, what you get is, um, do you know what her real mom is doing? <gasps> Where's her real mom? Oh yeah, I know. Like literally, I Oof. like seethe because uh, like, what's a real mom, right? What do real moms do? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I correct people on language. Quite, I say birth mother. Okay. You know, I just, like, yeah. Quietly correct. Yeah. So it's more like people's misunderstanding about how to talk about it, or they they say like, what's her backstory? And I'm like, are you seriously asking me that? She's also right there. Yeah. So like, you know, like it's her story. It's her right. story. She barely knows right. it herself because she's three. I'm not going to be like telling you, but people feel this like, like, like they, I don't know, like the right to intrude. I think like from what I've been learning over the past year, because a lot of people are genuinely interested in, in just the process of having Definitely. children. And I think it's just the, it's a lack of knowledge. It's a little bit of ignorance, but it's, it's not. It's in not, some yeah. cases, it doesn't come from like a malicious place. Yeah, I just think it's more or less just because you don't have that information. They're just they feel like feel like it's okay to just ask whatever and however yeah. they want. And sometimes because they will even say the same thing. They're like, "Oh, so where's the dad from?" And it's like, "Well, 
there is no dad. Spoiler alert. Like, I guess I'm the dad now. Um, but yeah, but it is, and it is frustrating. Um, but I, I've actually found that I kind of relish opportunities to um, educate people yep. on, on it, you know? I wanted to ask you, because this is obviously something that we'll be embarking on soon. So what is kind of your process with, um, you know, sharing her story with her and, and for her to under, like you, you, you mentioned earlier that she knows that she's adopted yep. and things like that. So how did you start introducing that to the conversation? We, we used the book that I just mentioned, the life story book, uh, for, straight away. So okay. pictures of birth family, little bits of stories here and there. And, and because we were seeing her brother and sister, mm. it was very easy for us. Whereas I've met adopters who've waited a long time and then deeply regretted it, actually, because, you know, it, it wasn't part of the natural conversation that they had. Mm. Now, I'm not under any illusion that at three, she really, she doesn't understand, like, the reproductive system. Yeah. She doesn't, she doesn't right. really get it. Um, but at least the story is a narrative that has been there since she was born. Does she it. ask questions about her brother and sister? Like, why don't they live with you guys? Not really yet. Okay. Not really. Okay. But she goes to a great preschool where they talk about different types of families. And, That's great. Um, she said to me the other day, you know, she's talking about having two mummies. And I said, you know, would you like a daddy? You know, kind of like, oh, God, this could go really badly. She was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then her little friend came over and was like, I wish I had two mummies. I was like, yes. yes. Winning. That's the best. Yeah. But, you know, it's, there's a whole process ahead for all of us who are, yeah. you know, same-sex parents. When they go to school, how you, you know, talking to the teachers about using the right language, all that yeah. sort of stuff, all yeah. ahead of us. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Ali, for coming and talking to us and sharing your story. If someone wanted to follow you on Twitter. Yeah, at Ali Donnelly, A-L-I-D-O-N-E-L-L-Y. Amazing. Thank you very much, Ali. Please do get in touch at slackspodcast at gmail.com with any questions or comments. Also, if you wanted to, we'd really appreciate you taking the time to rate and review us on podcasts on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Cool. And thanks for joining and catch you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>